Welcome to Fertility Friendly Food. I'm your host, Stephanie Velarkis, accredited practicing dietitian and nutritionist and director of The Dietologist, an Australian-based practice focused on optimizing fertility through nutrition. This podcast will bring you snack-sized episodes for you to learn, grow, and be inspired by the latest research, facts, and practical lifestyle tips about eating well for optimal fertility, helping you cut through the confusion and myths to take back some of the control on your fertility journey, one bite at a time. Well, hello there. Welcome back to season three of Fertility Friendly Food, the podcast. So excited to be here back with another season in your ears. And it is Endometriosis Awareness Month for the month of March. So we are kicking off a series over the next few weeks focusing all on endometriosis. Now, I know we have an older episode back in season one on this topic that is a little bit more broad, but I wanted to break it down and dive in deeper into this topic of endometriosis. So today's topic is all about managing inflammation using diet for endo. But before we get stuck into it, I wanted to let you know that we have an on-demand masterclass and e-guide bundle for you, Endo Warrior, our anti-inflammatory eating for endometriosis masterclass bundle. Inside, I dive in deep into this topic, more than what I can capture in this podcast episode alone, plus a handy downloadable e-guide with a full seven-day meal plan with recipes and shopping list, and the masterclass is available to watch wherever you are in the world for just 75 Australian dollars with 10 Australian dollars being donated to the Pelvic Pain Foundation of Australia who do incredible work educating school students across the country about pelvic health, pelvic pain and endo. So hopefully the next generation have much shorter times to diagnosis and live in a much more endo aware society. This masterclass is a fraction of the cost of a one-on-one consult. And let me tell you, we cover this regularly in our hour-long consults here at The Dietologist. So if you're keen to save your spot and learn whilst supporting us to give to much-needed endometriosis awareness and research, head to the link in the show notes to secure your spot. Okay, let's get into today's episode. So just quickly... What is endometriosis? Endometriosis is a chronic inflammatory condition associated with the reproductive system of females. However, it is characterized by the growth of endometrial-like cells, typically in the form of lesions or cysts that can grow both inside and outside the reproductive organs, in the pelvic cavity, the bowel, bladder, and also elsewhere in the body. There is such a thing as thoracic and diaphragmatic endo, and endometriosis has even been found much further afield in the body as well. Now, what this can typically cause are a variety of symptoms. However, The presence or absence of these symptoms doesn't confirm or deny the fact that you have endometriosis. So keep this in mind. So some typical symptoms of endometriosis is period pain that goes above and beyond just some cramps um, that can be relieved with a heat pack, for example, but rather requires medication. And in some cases, that's insufficient. Um, It affects your school and work life, uh, your relationships, etc., 
It's also sometimes associated with ovulation pain, so pain around the mid-cycle, around the time of ovulation, and non-cyclical pelvic pain. Uh, there's also some other typical symptoms that we can sometimes see with endometriosis, which include heavy, heavier bleedings um, around the time of the period and as well bowel symptoms, so things like constipation, diarrhea, bloating, pain with opening the bowel. Also, we see pain with urination, uh, bladder pain, and pain with sexual intercourse. There's also some more broader symptoms such as fatigue, uh, brain fog, and other types of symptoms that tend to cluster in with endometriosis. Now, this condition affects one in nine women of reproductive age and is one of the leading contributors to female factor infertility. And in fact, almost half of people that do receive a diagnosis of endometriosis only do so when they are trying to conceive and experience difficulties. So it is undiagnosed on average for about seven years from the onset of symptoms, which has improved down from 12 years, but still it is a long time to suffer. Um, if for those who are new here, I actually live with endometriosis myself. I was diagnosed in December 2019. If you want to hear my story, uh, it is the second episode um, of this podcast, so scroll on back. So what does inflammation have to do with endometriosis? So inflammation is a real buzzword at the moment. So I just wanted to define the two main groups of inflammation. We have acute inflammation. So think when you stub your toe or you cut your finger, you've got that immediate redness and swelling and blood flow and white cells being released and um, pain at the site, um, etc. And it will usually happen over a short period of time and heal over a few days or a few weeks. And that's typically about of acute inflammation. Chronic inflammation is usually lower grade, as in it may not be as obvious, it may be a little bit more subtle, but it is a chronic and long form of inflammation. And this can contribute to things like cell damage because of the higher amounts of oxidative species, um, which can cause more oxidative damage to our bodies. And so this is the type of inflammation typically associated with endometriosis, with studies showing that people living with endometriosis having more reactive oxygen species in their body, which are these free radicals that can contribute to cell damage. So inflammation has a big role to play when it comes to endometriosis and can sometimes be partially responsible for some of the symptoms that we experience as well. So it is really important to tackle inflammation as much as possible. Obviously, I'll be covering the dietary elements, but there are a lot of other ways that you can focus on inflammation management outside of diet, such as medications, um, mitigating stress, exercise, making sure you sleep enough, um, etc. So there's lots of other strategies there that can be helpful. So the next commonly asked question I get around inflammation and endometriosis is, does diet even really help? And I guess the answer to this is tricky because obviously we don't want to overstate the importance of something and, you know, put all of our metaphorical eggs in one basket. But diet and nutrition have a really big role to play in all of our lives. We're all going to eat hopefully multiple times a day, every day for forever. And so what we eat is going to matter when it comes to our health. And more and more research is starting to emerge on the types of foods that in general, 
outside of endometriosis are favoring um, inflammation and which ones are better for managing and lessening inflammation. And we're talking more about dietary patterns. And so this is one of the big pitfalls I often see, um, which I've talked about in masterclasses in the past, is over-focusing on single food items is a real way to get yourself overwhelmed, confused, and feeling really restricted. But rather zooming out and thinking about your total dietary pattern, because this is where the research is in indicating that is actually relevant when it comes to managing um, inflammation for endo. So is your diet mostly made up of fast foods and highly packaged and processed foods? Think chips and chocolates and ice creams and chicken nuggets and all of that kind of stuff? Or is your diet dominantly fruit and vegetables and lean meats and full fat dairy and um, whole grains and nuts and seeds and all that good stuff? And occasionally you will have an ice cream on uh, a Sunday walk with your friends. Then that ice cream in the context of a week of eating really well is probably not going to have as much impact compared to somebody who eats an ice cream in the context of eating those more highly processed foods. Now, the level of processing of food is often um, a, a point of confusion. And what I'm talking about here are highly processed foods that are characterized by their sugar, salt, and saturated fat content. I'm not talking about a high quality yogurt that has obviously been packaged and had some food processing done to it. Um, that's a different story. So what I'm talking about here are those foods that are high in sugar, salt, and saturated fat. Diets really high in these and low in our whole foods are going to favor more inflammation more broadly. Now, what when it comes to um, endometriosis, what is considered inflammatory specifically? Because um, a lot of people are like, don't tell me it's gluten and dairy and chocolate, please. I mean... It's bad enough I'm living with this awful uh, disease, with these awful symptoms, and I'm feeling all the feelings about it, and now you're telling me I can't eat things that make me happy. And I think this is a point that I hear all the time from both clients in our virtual clinic and also in our DMs all the time. And I think it, it's, it isn't a universal answer. You know, like I said, it's about dietary context, but it's also about your own unique triggers. And each of us that live with endometriosis, some of us have no symptoms or incredibly mild symptoms, and others are debilitated by this disease that affects their ability to work, participate in social events, um, and so on. So obviously the level of impact the disease is having on your life is probably going to determine how motivated and willing you are to maybe explore this path. At the same time, it doesn't necessarily mean more restriction. And I think that is really the, the key message that I always like to um, put out there. So when it comes to gluten, just briefly, there was one study that was done around gluten-free diet and endometriosis specifically a few years ago, about 200 endometriosis patients. They were put on that diet for 12 months and they did show that 75% had an improvement in pain, um, vitality and overall quality of life, but they didn't look at any inflammatory markers or any signs of inflammation. So we can't say it gluten-free diet improves endometriosis management via helping with via inflammation. We just know that potentially for some people, a gluten-free diet may be helpful. Now, whether it's the gluten protein itself or whether it was the fact that their dietary quality improved because a lot of gluten-containing foods like white breads and 
um, donuts and pastries contain gluten and so they crowd their diet with more whole foods that that potentially had a factor and so that's maybe partially explained some of the benefit and also potentially a lot of gluten containing foods are also high in fermentable carbohydrates FODMAPs that some people with endometriosis may be sensitive to who also meet the criteria for a diagnosis of irritable bowel syndrome and so it is the potential that we're eliminating things like wheat which is a high fructan food that we're seeing a benefit in digestive symptoms and pain because we know that that works for some people with endometriosis as well so it's tricky to untangle here i don't think we should hang our hat on one study now people that should absolutely avoid gluten like it's their job are people with diagnosed celiac disease and before you go ahead and experiment with any kind of dietary exclusions i'd really encourage you to check with your doctor that you do not have celiac disease as there is a small increased risk of being diagnosed with celiac disease with endometriosis as it falls into those autoimmune conditions even though endometriosis isn't yet classified as one there seems to be a link between having endometriosis and having another um, autoimmune disease diagnosis so just keep that in the back of your mind now what about dairy surely that's inflammatory well interestingly enough research shows when it comes to just dairy and inflammation more broadly that on the whole it seems to be neutral and or slightly anti-inflammatory and that could be because of the calcium or vitamin d or some of the bioactive peptides that are found within dairy now obviously intolerances aside such as lactose intolerance or a1 protein digestion issues um Obviously, you need to correct that with um, making the relevant modifications or ethical reasons that you're avoiding dairy, such as veganism, then there is no real reason to avoid dairy foods unless they are bothering you specifically and new research emerged showing that dairy food consumption is linked to a reduced risk of developing endometriosis and that might be due to the vitamin d content or another reason that we're not sure of just yet so if it's not bothering you there's no reason to eliminate it um it's if you are going to experiment with dairy-free diets or lower dairy diets please 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 consult a dietitian because we need to make sure that your calcium status is on point Point to avoid any bone losses. Now, what about all those other foods that I mentioned before? High in saturated fats and energy and deliciousness, right? Our chocolates, our chips, our pastries, our ice cream. Does that mean I can't eat those things? It doesn't necessarily mean you can't eat those things. It might just mean you need to reduce the portion and or frequency of how often you're eating those foods, especially if you're noticing a significant increase in your symptoms afterwards. And that goes the same for things like alcohol um, and other foods that you might find personally a little bit triggering. For me, I find personally it's deep fried foods um, are a bit of a trigger for me, but I really sometimes just enjoy a hot chip or a fry and I go into it eyes wide open knowing what I'm in for but my point is is it doesn't need to be that restrictive and the things that are considered genuinely inflammatory in a high proportion and remember it's all about proportions here are saturated fats which are found in a variety of animal foods also some plant-based oils like coconut oil, coconut cream, coconut milk, um, palm um, oil products as well, um, things like trans fats, and then also excess amounts of alcohol and excess amounts of added sugar. So that excludes fruit and dairy. So fruit and dairy aren't considered added sugars. 
added sugars is like what's in our more packaged and processed foods, but it is a lot more uh, to reach a level of inflammation is generally a lot higher than what people think. And so small amounts is really not going to make an overall difference or switching out your raw sugar for maple syrup or honey isn't really going to make a difference. Added sugar is added sugar. The form in which it tastes doesn't really matter. Okay. So that probably doesn't sound too bad. Hey, so what should you be eating more of then? Well, the focus now becomes on increasing the amount of dietary antioxidants and also omega-3 fatty acids, because those are the two things that we know on a physiological level are going to help with anti-inflammatory properties in the body. So dietary antioxidants have the ability to neutralize those free radicals that I talked about earlier, the reactive oxygen species, and they're found in a variety of foods, but particularly in our fruits, vegetables, extra virgin olive oil, and herbs and spices. And then, of course, our omega-3 fatty acids, my, <laughs> my love for them is unending. As you know, if you haven't listened to that episode about uh, omega-3s, then head on back and have a listen. But omega-3 fatty acids are going to help counter inflammation because they help rebalance that omega-3 to omega-6 ratio, which is really important for inflammation management, especially in endometriosis. So we need our oily fish here of salmon, ocean trout, mackerel, sardines, anchovies. And if we're not fish eaters or vegetarian or vegan, we need to be exploring supplementation with our healthcare provider, particularly in the instance of endometriosis, because it can also help with things like pain management. Um, as well as other things. So really, really important. Now, I know I've just touched the surface on this topic and really just, you know, dipped my finger in here. But if you want to learn more, don't forget to sign up for our anti-inflammatory eating masterclass on demand. I cannot wait to see you there. The link is in the show notes below. I hope you have enjoyed the first episode back of season three. I'll be back next week with another installment in this endometriosis mini series, all for Endometriosis Awareness Month this March. Now, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and use the new rating feature on Spotify if that's where you listen. This helps us out so much. The last time I asked you all to do this on Instagram, uh, we had a big influx in reviews and we shot up in the charts, which was awesome to see as an independent podcast. So um, please do share with your family members, friends or colleagues that I might find this helpful too. And my goal really this year is to make Fertility Friendly Food the number one fertility nutrition podcast together. So I so appreciate your support. I can't wait to see you in the next episode or rather, I guess, get me in your ear holes in the next episode and I'll catch you next week. Bye.